Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. And on this week's show, we get confirmation from all three experts on the program. That's Anna Porter of the suburbanite.com.au, Charles Tarvey, the founder of Century 21, and Dr. Andrew Wilson of myhousingmarket.com.au, that the property market is booming, but the big question is, can it really last three years? Meanwhile, Anna looks at some dodgy practices from buyer's agents because they haven't been able to beat the border bands to actually see the properties. Charles tells us that some markets are hot, he identifies them, and Andrew looks at whether there's value in inner city apartments. So let's get started with Anna Porter. Well, on the program, we have Anna Porter, who is the founder of suburbanite.com.au. And uh, she's got some really interesting issues. I'm going to ask her what she's seeing about the market, but some other interesting issues she wants to talk about. Anna, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, just, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of pe the people you know, who, who will be on the program today, and they're all f uh, confirming that the market is really hot. Are you seeing exactly the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. We saw during COVID through last year that there was a real lack of listings coming to the market through most capital cities and regional areas. You know, sellers were nervous, didn't know if they get the right price, so they just didn't list. And now, at the back of that, is a real lack of pipeline of sales. So there is a lot of people buying, but not as many people selling. Do you think the fact that the you know, the reserves are being smashed at auctions is going to lead to eventually, say by March, you know, which is a quite a famous time for, for sales, will they build up or are, are people sort of afraid they won't be able to buy anything because the supply is not really encouraging them? I think we'll see more supply come to market. It becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that when people that are thinking of selling hear about these record prices, more people list. So okay. then we start to see this equilibrium come back. And we're also in, you know, historically low interest rate environment. If there's any shift in those interest rates or any changes in lending again, that will tighten up people's ability to borrow funds mm. and repay those funds. So we certainly, you know, need to be considerate that things could get a little bit tighter in the market over the next sort of six to 12 months. Do you think the market messages are so effective that more and more people are thinking that maybe this is the best time to get in because maybe next year APRA will come along and, and squeeze lending? Yeah, look, lending has gotten a lot easier um, compared to this sort of time last year and the year before that. Mm. So people are finding it a lot easier to borrow money. And it was interesting, I was just talking to a mortgage broker earlier today, and he said people's reaction to the pandemic was let's borrow more money. So <laughs> it's quite an interesting response from Australians. Now, you, you've come up with an interesting observation. You're saying that buyers agents are duping their clients by using unqualified reps to inspect properties in the state. Tell us about that, that story. We're seeing a really concerning trend coming through in the industry. Now, to give this context, property buying is and investment advice is through the property side is, is quite unregulated compared to a lot of other sectors. Mm. So what we're seeing at the moment is with COVID, a lot of firms that traditionally buy into state and fly their, their advisors in and out of different locations haven't been able to do that. So what they've done, we've seen as a response to this in many cases, is they're getting friends on the ground in, in those locations to inspect for them who don't have the right qualifications. They're getting sometimes their building inspectors, which 
they are qualified, but not in property investment. They don't know how to look for this, those nuances that we look for that match the client's needs in particular. You know, when you're buying for a specific client or a specific investor, you need the property not just to be a good investment, but to be matching their individual needs. Uh, I've actually, the worst one I heard of was a firm got an Uber driver to go around and take photos for them of properties or they're using the selling agent. And whilst the selling agent knows property, it's a conflict of interest. He's working for the seller when they're meant to be working for the buyer. And, and this is becoming really prevalent. It's becoming quite concerning. Is there any way that a, an investor can make sure he's not going to be uh, a victim of, of pretty shoddy service? Absolutely. So it, the onus is on the investor to ask the right questions. And usually you wouldn't think to even ask this, no. but you do have to ask who will be inspecting the property on the ground? What are their qualifications? Or do they have either a real estate license or some other property license that qualifies them to do these inspections? Can you speak to them if you want to directly? And, you know, are they incentivized? This is what I find interesting. Are they incentivized if the property's purchased? So some people are out there doing inspections effectively for free for these investment firms. They only get paid when one of them's purchased. So there's a bit of an incentive there to make a good, a bad property look better or look good. Has there been ever any cases of where an investor has sued a buyer agent for not delivering uh, or falsifying the calibre of a, of a property? It's interesting. I, I don't know of any cases personally, but having said that, at the start of 2020, Lloyds of London pulled out of property investment advice as an underwriter. So they've done that for a reason. Mm -hmm. They can see risk there. And obviously there's been some issues in the industry that has led them to take that decision. So we've had to work really hard to find an insurer that will actually give us the right coverage for property investment advice. And it's been, let me tell you, incredibly expensive, mm -hmm. but most policies at the moment to our understanding have actually excluded property investment advice and premium loaded buyer's agent services. So my best guess is there would be some cases floating around. Okay, let's talk about the regional markets. You've, you've said to me, or you posed a question, boom or bust, we'll answer that question. The regional markets at the moment are in a little bit of a mini boom. We are certainly seeing a lot of Sydney siders and Melbournians pushing out of the city centres to have that real lifestyle balance or the weekender because you can't have the Europe trip anymore at the moment. Mm. But I don't think it's overly sustainable. There's a real flurry at the moment, a real interest from people out of those local areas. And what happens is eventually that will wane, eventually that will dry up, and the local market isn't necessarily propping up or supporting this movement or growth. So it might be very short-lived. I would say in 12 to 18 months' time, we could actually see a little bit of a decline in values coming back through these markets when this buyer pool of overly eager, you know, uh, Sydney and Melbourne people dries up a little bit. Yeah. I'm also noticing, uh, as someone who's got a, an office both in Melbourne and Sydney, in Sydney in particular where I'm operating out of it at the moment, um, I'm noticing a lot more people are back in the city. So, uh, you know, this idea that everyone would work from home, I think give it six months, I think there'll be a lot more people in the city and a lot less people at home. Absolutely. And it even becomes harder with things like when you're trying to train new staff to do that remotely is near impossible to do effectively. So I think there'll still be a bit of a blended work environment because I think it's made people realise you can have a little bit of both worlds. But you're right, working from home indefinitely, I don't think the behaviour change will be that embedded. Okay. What about the residential versus commercial scenes? Uh, is the commercial scene going, uh, you know, going through the roof like the residential scene? 
It's interesting. So one of my guys, Steve Polisi, he heads up our commercial division and he and I go head to head on this all the time. I'm I'm the residential one and he loves commercial. Yeah. Um, look, he's actually had more inquiry in the last three months than I have had for the residential side of things. And, and we've been busy. Mm. It, there's a real appetite out there at the moment for commercial property. And it's coming very predominantly in uh, the industrial sector, not so many unit, um, sorry, um, office buildings in the CBD for obvious reasons, but that industrial sector, which is where we tend to focus a lot on, there is certainly appetite, there is certainly interest coming through, which surprised me. I thought that might wane a little bit with what's happened with COVID and the changes in the, the legislation and the rental payments and you know the rent relief packages but absolutely not. So I think that market's going to be quite strongly propped up. We may not see that as much in the retail sector or the office sector, but when we look at industrial and medical, Steve's backing it's going to be a good year and from the level inquiry we're getting, I think he might be right. I might owe him a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, the interesting thing is that before the coronavirus, a lot of, you know, shopping strip um, streets uh, were struggling but with yep. more and more people in the suburbs, are, are those sorts of properties becoming in demand again? Yeah. So you're right. We can't blame COVID for everything. We had a move to online retail well before COVID, which pushed some pain through that sector. And that's not going to change post-COVID. Mm. It's only uh, really made online retailing a stronger sector, if anything. But you're right. People are in the suburbs. The local cafes, we're hearing a doubling and tripling their trade when they mm. haven't been in closure periods. The local pizzeria, the local shops, the hairdressers, because people are at home and can pop out during work hours and have that balance. But I think that'll soften a little bit as people do go back more into the work environment. So I don't think it's going to disappear, but I think it will soften. And whilst buyers and investors may want to focus on that type of asset, mm. they do need to look at 12 to 18 months' time because they're likely to hold the asset for five to 10 years. So you can't just build a strategy around what's happening today you have to have a bit of foresight around it and it will start to soften off a little bit again because I'm, I'm thinking that if the cafes are saying they're traveling their business their landlords will be thinking gee maybe it's due for a rent rise and if you get rent rises then of course the value of the properties go up don't they yeah, well, with commercial properties, the, the value does sit in the lease. You know, mm. that's absolutely correct. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that you've got to look at how that fits with what investment you want to have. So there are always pros and cons. And I think the thing with the suburban ones is you can get higher turnover of tenants. You might not get those tenants that will take up five by five by five in the local cafe. Mm. So you've got to be comfortable with that turnover and those vacancies in between. But you're right that you might get higher rent for it in the interim because there's a real focus on that sector and, and the behaviours of the consumers are driving that. Okay, a lot of um, amateur uh, experts trying to pretend they're you would say, oh, interest rates are low, it's going to be great for property. And of course, that's right, interest rates will be. But you also look at things like infrastructure projects and those sorts of things. Are they looking good for house prices and, and property prices generally? Look, in some locations, and it's quite funny, the interest rate debate, it is good for property. Having said that, though, there are markets that are going backwards when interest rates are still low. I don't know if anyone told Darwin that interest rates are low because the market has other mechanisms that drive it other than just interest rates. Mm. So what we want to look at is absolutely infrastructure projects, but not just a road or a bridge. That is a short-term employment play. 
We want to look at things that create long-term employment, hospitals, obviously universities are struggling a little bit at the moment with the current situation, but you know, the schools, the facilities, amenities. So when you look at um, Adelaide, there's the submarine and military boat project at 39 billion, coupled with the hospital project and technology grants being offered by government and the upgrade of the casino. So there's a significant amount of employment coming through, which is already propping up and driving that market. You're seeing it's starting to filter through in Brisbane with a couple of major you know, projects that are into the billions as well. When you look back at Sydney, you're comparing these billion dollar projects in these smaller economies to Sydney, we don't have as many big projects that are creating long-term employment at the moment in Sydney. Hmm. And that's starting to show through in, the, in how Sydney's performing, I think. Okay, so using the infrastructure um, assistance issue, where do you think is a great place, for example, in Queensland for investors to think about? There is absolutely a recipe for investing in Queensland and it's a very simple recipe. I'm going to give away the secret sauce here. Okay. It's a freestanding house within 25 minutes of the CBD, so Brisbane Metro and not in a flood zone. If you can tick those three boxes, fundamentally you're on the right track. The unit market's oversupplied. Getting further out of the metro area, you will not benefit from those major projects and the employment stop starts to drop away. But if you're in that metro area in a freestanding house, you're ticking the biggest boxes for a performing asset. Mm. I must admit, when I was watching that program last year, love it or list it, the, when, I, when I looked at Victorians thinking about going to Brisbane, the, uh, the price differential was extraordinary for, for very good houses. Absolutely. The, the Queensland market's still very affordable, but as an investor, there's things to consider around maintenance input. So there's a lot of beautiful Queenslanders and they might be a bit cheaper to buy, but often they require a heap of maintenance. So mm. sometimes people don't think of those things as well, that you've got to factor that in. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us, Anna, and uh, good luck. Talk to you in the uh, next, next not too distant future. Thank you for having us. That was Anna Porter. Now let's catch up with Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21. Now, well, joining me on the program is the founder of Century 21 in Australia and New Zealand, Charles Tarby. Charles, thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks, Peter. Happy New yeah, Year. Same for you. Now, uh, I'm sure you've told lots of people, as I have, that you know, your, your views on the market across the coronavirus period of 2020 has pretty well been on the money, just showing what a, a genius uh, you, you are when it comes to property <laughs> in Australia. But well, look, if you, if you get it right for a year, you're a genius in my, my book, uh, but you can, you've been getting it a lot longer, getting it right for a lot longer than that. Let's just kick off, Charles, with what's going on with the market generally right across the country. We know house prices are rising, but is it, is it still hot? Yes, yeah, still a very hot market, uh, Peter. In fact, I advised my daughter to put a home on the market. Uh, she said, Dad, uh, January uh, uh, start with, with, with an auction the first week of Feb. I said, uh, look, there's so many buyers out there right now. Interest rates are going to stay low. And uh, generally, this time of the year, the stock levels don't start climbing till around mm. now. Uh, so if you ever wanted to sell a property and you wanted uh, uh, hardly any competition with a lot of buyers, now's the time. And uh, property's due to go to auction in a week and a bit time, and she's already sold it. She's, I, I, we chatted, she got a great offer, a great, a number of offers. But I think that's what the issue is, Peter. Um, 
everywhere you turn, people saying stock levels were an issue. Uh, I, I don't think there is much an issue in certain areas as people are saying, and I'll explain that a little later, but there's there's no doubt in my mind that the market's moving forward. And, and when it comes to predicting movements in the market, one of the advantages we have as an organisation is that we've been web-based since 2002. So every office across Australia and New Zealand are on the same platform and on my iPhone, I can see results and activities literally as they're happening. Whereas most of the reports that come out nowadays are generally uh, is, is in some part historical or in the mainstream historical. And so you're, you're taking advice uh, from information that has already come and gone. Uh, and so we, we, we've got a little bit of an advantage in that yeah. sense. So Charles, is this trend that we're seeing in, you know, in, in the reports that are coming out that you know regions and outlying suburbs are doing really well compared to inner city, Sydney and Melbourne? Catching up. They're catching up, like Perth and Darwin, uh, they're catching up because they went they went backwards quite substantially, but in some of the regions, they didn't grow as quickly as the city of Sydney or the city of Melbourne or Brisbane, et cetera. And so now they're catching up. And so you're getting some really solid growth. Uh, people talk about coronavirus sending people out into the country and the regions, and to, to some degree, that's correct. But uh, I think lifestyle changes um, have, have occurred, but not to the to the point where they're impacting prices so significantly. I just think that these areas are catching yeah. up. So um, let's just look at an area where um, we've been talking about you and I for about a couple of years at least. We've all, we've kind of asked the question: When is Brisbane going to have a, a a recovery? And I think last year mm. you were saying that you thought Brisbane was getting close to a, a bit of a comeback. Are we seeing that now? Right. Definitely, uh, in certain areas, uh, well and truly, you know, Sunshine Coast, well and truly, uh, and I think uh, the the fact that the Brisbane pricing point or price point was a very good reason why people would invest yeah. there. Uh, and if you had a choice between, say, Hobart and Brisbane, uh, you'd go Brisbane because of infrastructure. Uh, and uh, although Hobart uh, has done very well, I think Brisbane is the city. Uh, Brisbane, but, but again, I got to go back to Darwin, but more so Perth for me, is still one of those places that has potential upside. Uh, Brisbane City has still got a little bit of a problem with apartments. Uh, as has uh, uh, some parts of Sydney. I drove through the west of Sydney the other day uh, where I thought I was just going in to look at a few um, new homes and I just kept driving and driving and I saw literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of apartments mm. that I, I could never have imagined would be built in that location. Uh, so I see that area is still an issue, uh, but in general, in the main residential areas, I think Brisbane is a, a very good place to invest in. So, Charles given there is oversupply in those western um, suburbs of Sydney for apartments, are they going to be ultimately priced for first home buyers to actually get a, a, a chance to get in the market where, say, uh, a few years back you say first home buyers haven't got a chance? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we, we that was a big, big subject two or three or four years ago where people were saying, you know, oh, what are we going to do for first-time buyers? Well, boy, oh boy, have they got some opportunities with interest rates. So, but it, look, it, uh, not not just not just that, Peter, but the reality is, is that a lot of the first-time buyers, and particularly in my experience uh, when I started in real estate, it was in the first-time buyer area, um, they really, a lot of first-time buyers want more than they can afford. And so they don't want to go into an apartment, you know. But but apartments now have become a little bit more fashionable. Uh, remember, we call them flats <laughs> and units. 
So, so they're now called apartments. It's a, it's like uh, knocking on doors. Where, as a real estate agent, we call it door knocking in uh, in Penrith, but in the eastern suburbs, we call it entrepreneurial marketing. So, uh, you know, similar sort of thing. And I think that uh, the apartments are going to represent a great value for young couples now. Um, they all watched uh, all the shows, all the New York shows, Seinfeld, Sex yeah. and the City, all those things. Living in apartments now is, a, is, is yeah, chic. Exactly chic. right. I hope they get there because uh, there's going to be some great opportunities. Uh, for Charles, them. on the subject of uh, neglected apartments, um, in a city apartment, Sydney, Melbourne, are there really good buys at the moment? Because you know the, the, the foreign students aren't there, the Airbnb travellers aren't there yeah. like they used to be. Is there good value there too? Yes, but the closer you get into the city, um, it's not as impacted. It's it's more as you sort of get on the fringes of the city that the pricing of some of those apartments is going to be impacted by, because a lot of people have downsized and they sell their home for a great price and buy a lovely apartment in in the city, and they they you know go around the city to the restaurants or the theatres which are now reopening and so on. Uh, so I I think that the city closer to the city you're okay. Just as you get out in the fringes, there are some going to be some great opportunities. And I drove down the Great Western Highway and Parramatta Road the other day, another area just looking in, in Sydney, and uh, I, I'm just blown away by the literally thousands and thousands of apartments that are sitting there. And, and some of those areas, the apartments are, you, you go there for night time, you probably don't even see half of them lit up, Peter. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I, I guess um, another really interesting development, which we saw Get, get more and more um, important over 2020 was this work from home effect. Yeah, mm. you know, it's in your interest to work out how long this is going to last for because, you know, clearly tree change areas and sea change areas, they're benefiting from that at the moment. Do you think it's going to last, Charles? Tremendous, yeah, tr tr tremendous. Sorry, Peter, um, some of those regional areas uh, are going incredibly well. Uh, when you when you think about it, I mean, I live in the Blue Mountains, uh, west of Sydney, Peter, and so for me, I've always had that uh, ability to work from home and, and uh, do these kinds of interviews that you and I are doing now without it having to be a, a major issue. Uh, I do think, though, I do think, though, a lot of the people miss that human interaction. And I've noticed in my offices here in Sydney, there's more and more people that have been given the option to work from home. So there's more and more of them sort of wanting to dribble into the city because they're getting a bit bored with uh, that, that uh, experience. So I don't know that it's going to last. I think a lot of people who are on the edge of retirement or slowing down, probably it'll work. But for those that are coming into industry, new, younger, up and coming, I think they want the interaction. Yeah, I I do remember that video that came from the UK at the start of the coronavirus where uh, a gentleman was being interviewed and the interviewer said, your challenge is to answer the following question. You have the choice of being at home with your wife and children during the coronavirus, that's A, or B, and he simply said, B, B, definitely B. So I think yeah. there are lots of people out there who thought it was a good idea, but when they're working from home, and, and you know, you do interview. It's a, it's it's okay, but it needs to be balanced. So I think if people are going to make that change and sell up and move out to the bush for that reason, they're probably going to make a mistake. Let's quickly go around the country, mate. Uh, you've talked about Brisbane yeah. already, and, and you've alluded to Perth being good. Perth uh, house prices are on the rise, aren't they? 
are definitely on the rise, and so they should be, uh, because they, they dropped so much during the last cycle. They, they dropped to below uh, the boom price. They, they, they just really went through yeah. the floor. And now Perth has, has become and demonstrated that it can be on its own in many cases. You know, nobody can go there, all locked down. Um, that uh, the, the real estate market there is moving along very, very strongly, and so are the prices. And the agents that I'm talking to there are uh, experiencing a dramatic rise in turnover and interest in Perth. So definitely a marketplace. I mean, I've always liked Perth because it it is a, a strong city on its own and it's got the South African side to it. It's got the United Arab Emirates side and there's a lot of movement between South Africa and United Arab Emirates in yep. Perth. And well. what Hobart has been a stellar performer for quite some time. Is it still doing well? Yeah, it's doing well. It's it's one of my um, red flag ones, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think it's a great place to buy. I think you just need to be aware that there's been a lot of investment in there, and so therefore, the more investment, um, the more investors, the the more uh, property available for rent. Uh, and when you've got the government grants, uh, home builder and and government grants being handed out to first home buyers and and people who are renovating, etc., uh, particularly first home buyers, they're in a position to buy with low interest rates and pay less than they're paying in rent. So you've got more investors and less tenants, that's going to, that's pointing very, very strongly to a higher vacancy. Yeah, and Adelaide's been doing pretty well. Amazing. Um, again, the home builder has had a major impact there. You know, we have an office in Adelaide run by a gentleman by the name of Greg Nibo and uh, been there, that office has been there for 40 years. And they literally sell suburbs. They um, gained a, a tender for suburbs uh, from the state government. And during the, uh, when Home Builder was launched, they went to their database and they had 100 plus to 150 people a month signing contracts to buy house and land sure. packages. It's just unheard of. So th that those areas, are, and their pricing points are fantastic, Peter. And they've got plenty of land like Canberra, you know, just create another suburb. And so they've they, they really balanced well in their pricing, nice growth all the way through. Uh, again, same as with Canberra. Yeah. Okay, before you go, just give us one or two suburbs that really are on fire that people you know, should think about. I, I, I give you some. I give you some um, uh, regions that might be best. Uh, definitely in, in New South Wales, I'd be looking strongly at Central Coast and and South Coast, particularly with the uh, uh, possible tunnel infrastructure down the South Coast. Uh, no question there. Uh, Geelong is uh, in, in uh, that region there has really moved along anyway. It's been very strong for some time. So I think when you're getting out to the regions in Victoria, that's where I'd be looking particularly. In, in Queensland, the Sunshine Coast is probably getting harder to get into because the pricing has gone crazy. Southeast Queensland that they've talked about for years and years and years and years is probably the right place to look. Uh, although the infrastructure is mostly north, North Lakes up into Redcliffe and through into those areas. Uh, so that, that, they're sort of my picks in, in um, uh, South Australia, of course, uh, the Elizabeth area is great, but if you really want to buy something special in South Australia, the coastline south of the city is yeah. amazing, amazing and well, well priced. And if you're going to uh, Perth, well, there's plenty of choices in Perth right now, and that's not going to last long. North, south, uh, I love going down the coast to Mandurah, some incredible homes down there that, that uh, uh, I wouldn't say tanked, but had a really yeah. tough time. Uh, they're very well priced yeah. as well. All Pretty. I say is look out for the Noah's Arks down there, that's for sure. 
<laughs> All right, mate. Good. Well, they, they might be seceding, so we, we might not get a chance. Okay, mate. Great to see you. Charles Darwin, founder of Century 21 Australia New Zealand. That was Charles Tarby. So let's go to Dr. Andrew Wilson's take on the longevity of this boom in house prices. Well, when the latest numbers came out for house prices this week, uh, I, I couldn't help but uh, see the enthusiasm from Dr. Andrew Wilson from myhousingmarket.com.au. Mate, you were, you were really over the top in your enthusiasm for the market. Is that a fair call? Well, I guess it validates what we knew was coming anyway, Peter. It's uh, probably been stronger than most anticipated, but we uh, are certainly in catch-up mode, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne now, and uh, maybe it's going to be a bit of a wild ride over the next few months. Yeah. So let's recap for people who might have forgotten. You wouldn't have forgotten. What were the, the worst-case scenario predictions for house, house prices for uh, 2020? I think we had some 30s and maybe even some 40s mentioned there, didn't we? Uh, yeah. In terms of price declines, Peter. Uh, not that much different to what was predicted for 2019. So uh, I guess it's deja vu all over again, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but we did finish the year. And I think we actually discussed that last year that we had prospects of finishing the year with prices higher than where they started in 2020. Mm. And that was the case. But um We've started this year stronger than where we were a year ago. And remember, it was a pretty healthy market at the beginning of 2020. So really up and running at the moment, uh, yeah. Peter. Now, of course, there are those people out there, and I'm sure you've encountered them on Twitter and other places where they like to sling mud, that they, they presume someone like you, all you ever want is prices to go up. But in reality, your job is to actually try and pick where prices are going. The fact that they go up more what years than they go down really annoys the, the negative nervous Nellies out there. But yeah, is there anything out there which you think can threaten uh, a house price rise scenario, which I think even the Reserve Bank has said three years of 10% yes. uh, rise per year, 30%. Is there anything out there that threatens that, Andrew? I don't think we'll get that, Peter. I think this year is going to be the big year and then we'll really uh, run out of energy. And I think all we're doing is catching up to where we really should have been, except for those uh, uh, lending restrictions that uh, impacted the market through 2016 and right the way through to 2019. So we're in catch up mode. Prices in Sydney and Melbourne are still where they were three years ago. And of course, since then, we've had just about a 1% cut in mortgage rates. We've had a 5% cut in in income, sorry, a 5% increase in incomes, and that means that property is more affordable. So we're just getting back to where we should be, and that means a strong prices growth this year, but it's just catching up with what we didn't grow over the last three years, Peter. But once that happens, we don't have the incomes growth or the lower interest rates, obviously, to keep pushing up prices at 10% per annum. So I think this year will be a big year but it'll be followed, all things being equal, of course, and we've got to keep our fingers crossed for those black swan events that it'll just sort of uh, run out of steam. Yeah, and, and also uh, explain to the audience the, the ripple effects as well, because you know, while there are suburbs that in Sydney and Melbourne that wouldn't be rising as rapidly as those suburbs in the outer reaches of Sydney and Melbourne and the regions and whatever, they, they all factor into the national rise, which that national rise is not necessarily 
reflecting every suburb having that same kind of rise effect. Oh, absolutely, uh, Peter. And uh, look, some markets get ahead of the game. Some markets uh, are a little bit behind the game. But over time, they all sort of move with the same energy and get back to the same point. Um, because when people are priced out of a certain suburb, they then look to another suburb, which is more affordable. Mm. That increases demand and puts up prices in those areas. But there's no doubt that the, I guess, the underperforming markets have been Melbourne and Sydney over recent years. And, um, you know, it's the same story. They're now catching up to Brisbane and Adelaide and Canberra and uh, Perth also has been an underperformer and it's got a long way to go to where it gets back to where it was seven years ago. But I do think all markets are going to record quite reasonable to strong prices growth this year. Okay, and we're reading that, okay, houses and regional areas are all doing well, but apartments are struggling. Yes. And, and it seems to me that if, if your scenario is right, and I think you are, that after this year, a lot of the energy will be taken in the market because price rise will be strong. There's going to be a, a cohort of people who start saying, well, I wanted the house, but hell, the apartments are cheaper. They'll start looking at the apartments, won't they, over time? Yeah, look, we're sort of seeing a little bit of that, Peter, at the moment. There is some fragility in some of those apartment markets, particularly in a suburban Sydney and uh, CBD Melbourne. There's a lot of vacancies there now. Investors are a little bit nervous. Rents have fallen in some suburbs by, in those areas by up to 20%. And uh, yeah. vacancy rates are very high, record level vacancy rates in Melbourne and Sydney. So this year, I guess the one part of the market that bears watching uh, are those investor markets in the inner cities of Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, I mean, investors can only hang on for so long with falling rents and maybe no rents uh, to match their outgoings. But so far, it's interesting that we haven't seen a fire sale in these areas for apartments. And that's because there's still some quite reasonable buying activity happening, but from owner occupiers. And now first home buyers, downsizers, empty nesters are still interested in securing inner city apartments. But um, as I said, the big question this year will be how long can investors hold on? Because we're not going to see a reduction in those vacancy rates anytime soon. No, no. It, it, we, we Look, let's face it. Some of those uh, inner city apartments would be would be doing better if borders had been yes. open and Queenslanders could come to Sydney and Sydney yes. sides could go to Melbourne on the weekends and do Airbnb, yes. you know, maybe taking over from where international uh, 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 tourists were. But so maybe there's a six month window where things will get better. But th th it seems to me that if I was in the market and if I if I was an empty nester, I'd sold say in in. Uh, Turak in Melbourne or, or Gordon in Sydney and I wanted to live around the eastern suburb of Sydney or around Albert Park in, in Melbourne, I, I would be looking around for apartments, but good bargains from people who, you know, were renting them out to, to tourists and whatever. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. We've, um, we've got record numbers. It's interesting, record numbers of furnished apartments now in the permanent market in Sydney and Melbourne in those inner suburban areas. And they, of course, are Airbnb product. Mm. And there's really no prospect, a significant prospect of that easing because borders will remain closed for a while. And look, again, we've seen some issues in Melbourne and, and Perth emerging with coronavirus outbreaks. I'm not sure if we'll go back into border shutdowns, but that's the worst thing that I, I guess a tourist landlord would be looking towards. But regardless of that, we're going to see international borders closed uh, for some time and that impacts students and tourists and uh, that will keep those vacancy rates in those popular inner city unit markets high 
Uh, and that means perhaps good opportunities, as you suggested, for those that are looking to be owner occupiers, um, you know, in uh, in central city locations. Yeah. Tell me this, uh, uh, Andrew, uh, uh, is there a supply problem still? And that's part of the reason why the prices are going up. Because when you sell, you've got, you got to go someplace. If the supply is not there, you're less inclined to sell. Look, absolutely, Peter. And um, we've obviously had some very strong numbers coming out from the ABS on building approvals. Um, mm. and, and that's being driven by the Home Builder Scheme from the Commonwealth Government. But that's finished. The first phase of that has finished. Uh, it's been, been downgraded and that will finish in March now for the $15,000 grant, which is down to $25,000. But uh, the point is it's given, obviously, a lift to new building and new supply. But our new supply has been dreadfully low now for the past five years. Uh, apartment construction is now half of where it was in 2015. And, um, you know, this does produce the prospect or the spectre of undersupply in our, uh, in our housing markets. And I think the, the <coughs> decreased migration is sort of put it on hold at least for some time. But uh, I still think that we are looking towards an undersupplied housing shortage outlook in uh, most of our capital city markets, particularly once migration starts to pick up. Yeah, and I know a lot of people have pointed to the fact that immigration uh, clearly is um, yeah. on the way down, but what about the effect of all these Aussies coming home? Are they sort of helping the market in terms of demand at least for the next year or so? Because they, they arrive, they probably lob with their parents until the parents say, get out go find something, but they must be out there either buying or renting. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. And we've seen a big impact in the Sydney market from those expats. Uh, and there's still a lot more to come in, of course, because mm. you know, there, there are tremendous restrictions on coming back into Australia for expats. But uh, I think one of the back, uh, one of the features, uh, one of the drivers of the surge in mid to higher price properties, particularly prestige properties in Sydney last year, was were first uh, were first um, uh, firstly and primarily those um, expats coming into the market and looking at higher price properties. I think that uh, you know those leafy middle ring markets in Sydney and Melbourne will be particularly attracted to those expats that are sort of looking for those family friendly, higher priced, uh, higher priced suburbs to uh, to locate into or relocate into. So yes, I do think that is a factor, and it will continue to offset some of the reduced demand from international migrants. But um, I don't think the forward migration is going to have a significant effect on house prices, particularly in the shorter term, Peter. Okay. And, and what about the, you know, you, you have alluded to the fact you think that house prices will rise strongly this year, but it'll go off the boil. Do you think APRA will get involved well, if house prices yeah. start going through the roof? Who knows, Peter? I hope they don't. We've had uh, really the law of unintended consequences from those uh, APRA interventions back in 2015, 16, and then again in 2019. We've just spoken about the undersupply of, uh, of new property or of, uh, of, housings, of housing in Australia. And I think one of the consequences of those restrictive lending practices, particularly to investors, was the collapse, particularly in the market, the apartment market construction sector. Uh, look, I think that let's just let the market uh, get back to its, I guess, where it should be in terms of uh, picking up the lower interest rates and higher incomes that it missed out on in the last couple of years. Uh, and then I think we definitely will see prices growth start to ease uh, and, um, you know, regulators can uh, 
let the market do what it does. And it's all about prudential lending standards and our banks are still pretty strict, maybe Italy overly strict with their lending practices. And as long as that's the case, we don't have to worry about any of the bubble nonsense that's now going to obviously be spread around yeah. everywhere. Well, well, one of the aspects of the bubble argument also is that, you know, um, the um, level of debt compared to household income is uh, internationally uh, the highest in the world or second highest and we're behind Switzerland, I think. But the interesting thing is with this scenario, um, it's a real, they've got a fair argument if interest rates are on the rise, but given what the Reserve Bank governor said this week, basically saying they're gonna stay here for four years. If you've got low interest rates and very easy debt servicing, that argument isn't gonna come back to bite anyone at least until four or five years. Absolutely, and you've hit the nail uh, on the head there, Peter. It's all about uh, the capacity to service your loan. And uh, we, we can see that um, the actual proportion that mortgagees are paying off their loan hasn't changed in terms of the proportion of their income. And when we look at other factors such as uh, mortgage defaults and arrears, they're quite low and have remained reasonably steady. If there was any problems in terms of the repayment ability of mortgagees, it would be showing up with... Um, you know, higher uh, arrears and uh, and defaults, and we haven't seen that even during the uh, even during the COVID period of uh, of shutdown. So uh, no, look, um, you know, as long as we have strict lending conditions, which we do have, that's a feature of having, I guess, a, a non-competitive banking system. Okay, we can put up with that, but it does ensure that we have a a very secure housing market, and we keep proving that cycle after cycle, Peter. Now, I don't want to be nasty, but this is my last question. It's got nothing, not nasty towards you, but you know, the, 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 there are people out there who you know, conduct what they think is pretty serious uh, surveys about mortgage stress. Yes. These mortgage stress surveys really haven't been telling a real old truth, have they? Well, the, uh, the debt bomb argument's been around for a few years now, Peter, and it's, uh, I think the argument itself has blown up because we've seen no indication, even through difficult or economic times, we've seen no uh, inclination for those uh, arrears numbers or those uh, default numbers to rise above anything other than what we'd expect uh, in a normal circumstances. In fact, we did see with the uh, mortgage holidays the banks offered last year that they've actually started to reduce quite dramatically, even surprised the banks at how quickly people have, um, have moved off those mortgage holidays. And that shows they have the capacity to continue to support their mortgages once they get back into work. So look, it's a good headline. I guess it gets a few clicks, but uh, the reality is there's no supporting evidence for it at all, Peter. Yeah. I guess um, as economists, we know if the economy is growing over 4%, you don't have too many problems. No, absolutely. And look, it's a, new, it's a brave new world. The thing about the housing market is we don't have to worry about interest rate movements up or down really into the foreseeable future. Yeah. The interest rate genie is back in the bottle. And that means it's just about local supply and demand conditions and also uh, secure lending by banks. And that means we can really look forward, notwithstanding, fingers crossed, no more shutdowns this year, uh, to quite a steady, uh, if not strong, period of prices growth this year. And as I said, it will be until the, uh, I guess, the lower interest rate and higher incomes energy dissipates, which it will, because banks won't allow you to borrow more without a higher income or a lower interest rate. Andrew Wilson, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. Thank you.
That's the show. And in case you didn't know, I'm not just a media personality. I also have a financial planning business called Switzer Advisory. So check us out at switzeradvisory.com.au if you're interested in building your wealth.